Yesterday, something uh, epic happened. It was the 10th annual World Championship Contest of Poutine Eating. Did you hear about this? Guess how much the champion ate in 10 minutes? 26 pounds. Someone follows poutine eating contests. <laughs> Can you imagine? 26 pounds. I was reflecting on that because I love eating and I like poutine. It's a lot of gravy. I mean, this is, this, is, this is real poutine. This is, like, how much do you think you could eat in one sitting? Like, even in an hour, let alone 10 minutes. I'm thinking maybe two pounds if I really committed myself to it, right? <laughs> right? Are you picturing now? Yeah. Is anyone getting hungry for poutine? Yeah, is this turning? Like, 26 pounds. That cannot be healthy, is what, is what I'm taking from it. That cannot be healthy. That's a lot of cheese, curds, and gravy. What does this have to do? Well, this morning we're going to talk about another way of eating and drinking that is very unhealthy. And what we're going to talk about is taking communion in an unworthy manner. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yes. Let, let me read the passage of Scripture where that, that comes from. It's 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, 11, and verse 17 to verse 30. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. In the following instructions, I have no praise to offer you, because your church gatherings do more harm than good. Ouch. That is harsh. First of all, he says, first of all, this is the 11th chapter. He's had a lot of first of alls. <laughs> But first of all, when it comes to you getting together for communion, I hear that when you come together as a church for the Lord's Supper, there are divisions among you. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you are eating. For many of you proceed with your own meal to the exclusion of others. While one person remains hungry, there's another person over there getting drunk. Don't you have your own homes in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God? And humiliate those who have nothing. What am I supposed to say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Paul was sarcastic, by the way. If you didn't know that, sarcasm is biblical. It's a spiritual practice. That's my opinion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. We'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Each one must examine himself or herself before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you are fallen asleep. 
Now, next week, we will be celebrating communion together, so I thought it would be a good idea to kind of unpack this intriguing, confusing, kind of mysterious passage of Scripture where Paul is talking about communion. How many have heard sermons on this passage of Scripture? Here's my recollection as as a child and as a teenager of the gist of this message. If you are not right with God, if you have any unconfessed sin in your life and you partake of communion, that's dangerous. You may be bringing the judgment of God upon yourself. And that could result in getting weak, sick, or falling asleep, whatever that means. So communion for me was kind of an anxiety-inducing event. Should I take it? You know, so I learned that prayer, you know, for, I would name all my sins and then I would have the blanket coverage insurance, you know, like, and any sins that I've forgotten or sins that I did that I didn't even know were sins, you know, I had a long, a lot of clauses in my confession just to cover anything because I don't want to be stricken with this judgment as I partake of communion. Or I'm racking my brain, is there someone out there who has something against me that has not forgiven me that I need to make amends to? And the problem is that list was long and growing every day. Do I have to really make everyone like me and be cool with me before I can partake of communion? So sometimes I just wouldn't take it. Does anyone relate to what I'm talking about? So what is, what is it that, that Paul is intending to communicate here, A, to the Corinthians, and B, to us, about communion? So the two questions I kind of want to explore are, what does it mean to partake in communion in an unworthy manner, and The other question, what does it mean when he says if you do partake in communion in an unworthy manner that you may become sick or weak or fall asleep, okay? In order to understand, actually, in order to understand anything in the Bible, you've got to look at the context, right? So if we look at the context of this passage, we look at the whole first letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And we see that the dominant theme in his first letter to the Corinthians is that this is a very divided church. There's many divisions. There's a lot of quarreling and a lot of strife and infighting going on in this congregation. Not only is it very divided, but but there's another major theme. It's also a very gifted church. They have an abundance of spiritual gifts. And later on, we're going to see that that is actually part of the problem. But the main theme, as you see, even in chapter 11, he's still talking about their divisions. But this starts in chapter 1. You look at chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. And then he starts naming some of the different factions. You see, they're, they're divided in many ways. One of the ways they're divided is theologically. So some of them are saying, well, I'm, I'm with Paul theologically. I, I'm with his gospel and his teachings. I follow Paul. And another one's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm, with, I'm with Apollos. I follow Apollos, his gospel and his teachings and his theology. And another one's, no, 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 I'm with Cephas. He's got the true gospel. His theology is right. And then another one is, some people are like, oh, I'm, I follow Jesus. I'm with Christ. And that always jumps out to me. Like, aren't we all, what's that all about? And then I remembered have you ever been in a group discussion and about discipleship, say, and someone's like, well, I really resonate with what Bonhoeffer says about discipleship and not making, cheapening the grace, and someone else is like, oh, I really resonate with, with uh, Karl Barth, on, and then someone's like, well, you follow Bonhoeffer, and you go with Barth, I follow Jesus. 
You know those people? Now, I, I'm, I've been one of those, so I, it takes one to know one. But, you know, oh, you Mennonites, you can follow Menno Simons. That You do you. You do you. That's so cute. And you Lutherans, you go with Martin Luther. Me and my household, we follow Jesus. We, we follow Jesus. You do what you... That is not only extremely arrogant, but it's very dangerous because we, we are living without the awareness that we too have a theological lens through which we see and interpret Jesus and his teachings. Exactly. And when we have, take that posture, that, audit, that attitude that, you know, I just follow Jesus, I just do what the Bible says. No, you don't. No, you don't. So these people are actually contributing to the divisiveness in the church of Corinth. Be honest. Be honest about your conditioning. You've been cultured. You've been shaped. You've been wired. You've been, you've been formed. Your mind has been formed theologically by many, many things. Okay, that rant is over. Back to what Paul is saying. There's many divisions, many divisions in the church of Corinth. In fact, as we keep reading, we see that some of them despise each other so much that they are taking each other to court. They are suing each other. They hate each other so much. As we keep reading, we see that, that pride is a real issue, and this is connected with spiritual gifts. Many of them are using their spiritual gifts not to exalt Christ, not to edify the whole body, but self-exaltation. Look at me, I have the gift of prophecy, or look at me, I'm important because I have... What it, not helpful, not healthy. As we, as we keep reading, we see that there are also divisions based on socioeconomic class. And this is, this, this is sometimes difficult for us to understand, although we certainly still have it without question. But, but in this context, I mean... Corinth is a very wealthy city. It's a major hub. It's a port. In fact, there's a canal there that connects two bodies of water. Lots of trade going through. Very wealthy, important city. And there's some, some of the Christians in the church of Corinth are wealthy. They're educated. They're influential in, in the city. They're powerful. And then there's others who are poor. Some of them are, are servants or slaves. Some of them could be the servants and slaves of some of the wealthier Christians. And what Paul is saying here, he's talking about many divisions, but here when they come together for communion, communion is actually used as a weapon. Now one of the ways that communion is being used as a weapon is the wealthy people are coming together and they have lots of food and lots of wine and they are having a feast celebrating God's goodness, celebrating how God has blessed them abundantly. And then there's some poor Christians who can't afford to bring bread and wine, who are coming, they have nothing, and the wealthier Christians are not sharing anything with them. And this is not just an oblivious kind of, oh, I guess we should have shared with them how thoughtless, we just thought everyone could afford bread and wine. This is intentional, this is calculated. They are doing this to put the poor, the servants, the slaves, in their place. You see, what's happening is, the Spirit of God gives spiritual gifts liberally and in ways that we don't understand. So some of these poor, these servants, these slaves, have been given apostolic gifts, have been given prophetic gifts, gifts of teaching. And as they've been taught, they start using these gifts, and in certain situations, they are actually exercising spiritual authority over these wealthy, educated, influential, powerful Christians. You can imagine how that goes over. Who are you to start speaking into my life and confronting me with what I'm doing? Who, who do you think you are giving me counsel and advice and you can't even 
feed your family adequately. So they use communion to put them in their place, remind them, if it weren't for us, we wouldn't even have this church. We're the, real, we're the important people. You better recognize us. Be careful how you're using your spiritual gifts when it comes to us. And we might not do that quite that overtly, but what are the subtle ways that we refuse people using their spiritual gifts to speak into our lives? We do it. We live in a culture where we're afraid to use our spiritual gifts in provocative and challenging ways. I mean, how many of us do it? This isn't really something we struggle with. It's something we've kind of just given up on. (laughs) So Paul is saying, listen, when you're coming together for communion, it's not the Lord's Supper because communion, the whole point of it, well, there's two points. The first point is to focus on Christ, to elevate Christ. We remember what Jesus not only has done for us, the sacrifice that brings us forgiveness and love, but to remember that the living presence of Christ is in our midst. That's the first point of communion. That's why we call it communion. It's communion with the living presence of Christ. And as we do that together, have the same focus, that is what unites us, all of us. We are one. We are equal. We are together the body of Christ. That's why Paul says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. It's about recognizing the whole body. We are one. We are in this together. We are equal. I'm not the body of Christ. Together we are the body of Christ, and that includes everyone. That's what it means to partake in communion in an unworthy manner. It's how we do this together. If how we celebrate the Lord's Supper is not bringing us into mutual focus on Christ and mutual recognition that we are all the body of Christ, then we're partaking in an unworthy manner. It's not really the Lord's Supper is what what Paul is saying here. And what what happens in, in more mystical terminology is when we come together and we enter into awareness of the living presence of Christ in our midst, then we together become the physical manifestation, the body of Christ on earth. That's what is supposed to happen. That's what it, Our unity is in Christ. I mean, that's, that's all throughout the New Testament. Our unity is in Christ. What does in Christ mean? Well, one of the things it means is our unity is not whether we're part of the same education level or socioeconomic status, right? Our unity is not whether we're both into hockey or not. Our unity is not if we're into the same things or we're into sewing or whatever it is. Our unity as a church body is in Christ. And we're not going to experience that unity until we all come together into conscious awareness of the presence of Christ in our midst. And as we're in that, in Christ, that's what it means to be in Christ, consciously aware of Christ's presence within us and all around us, as we're mutually together in that space, we become the physical manifestation of the presence of Christ on earth. That's what's supposed to happen. This is not what was happening in Corinth. They're actually using communion to animate the divisiveness in their midst. So that's the answer to the first question, in my opinion. The second one is, is, is a little trickier. Paul has a number of very difficult and hard sayings to understand. Um, this is one of the ones that's very difficult to understand, and biblical scholars and commentators and theologians, they're all over the map on this one. 
I'm going to share with you three most common explanations briefly. And uh, in the order of the probability, I think they uh, actually articulate what Paul was intending. So let's start with the least likely explanation of what Paul is saying. And this explanation is, is kind of exacerbated by the fact that some translations, instead of saying many are fallen asleep, say many have died. And that's not, that's not an accurate translation. All literal translations will say many are fallen asleep. That's what the Greek word means. And it's also present tense, which is interesting, are fallen asleep. And what, what, so the first explanation that is the least likely, in my opinion, is that some people, because they are doing communion in this bad way, are getting physically sick, physically weak, and some are even dying prematurely. I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about. However, it could be. We don't know. But I would, I would say this. If that is happening in the church of Corinth, I would say that is very unique to that particular situation and circumstance. Because there's a lot of weird stuff going on at the church of Corinth. And sometimes weird things happen in the Bible that are just, like Ananias and Sapphira. They lie, they die. Do all liars die everywhere? No. There's, you, know, you, you know, so it's, if this is something that's happening at the church of Corinth, it's kind of unique to that situation, that place. And why would I assume that? Well, this is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture of situations where people are getting sick or, or dying because they're doing communion wrong. In fact, I don't know of any situation through the early church literature or in church history where people are getting physically sick or dying because they do communion wrong. And you certainly don't see other Scripture passages warning you about how you do communion. This is the only one. Most reference, if this was a thing, like if this is a real thing, like you take it wrong, you might die, I think there would be more passages of scripture warning us about this. <laughs> By the way, be careful when you take communion. Joe, last week, I mean another one. <laughs> so if this is a thing, I think it's, it's particular to the church in Corinth. So that's the first possible explanation. The second one is that given the context, so there's these poor Christians, and some of them are so poor, they're actually starving. And what would happen at many churches, not all churches, but many churches, is they would share resources, and poorer people, that's, this is why poor people and widows and servants and slaves really loved the Christian movement, because the wealthier people would share their resources with them. And this happened at many, many of the churches, at least in the first couple centuries. But in the church of Corinth, this doesn't seem to be happening, and some of the poorer members are actually getting physically sick, getting weak, and some are even dying because they're being neglected. No one is sharing with them or caring or supporting them. So that's a possible explanation that makes more sense, but given the way Paul is writing here, I, I don't think it's the best explanation. And I'm looking at the time, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the reasons why I think that. I'll just share with you what I think is the most plausible explanation, and that is Paul is talking about the spiritual well-being and health of individuals in the church. He's saying, when you do communion in this way, you, you're, some of you are developing a very sick spirituality. Some of you are becoming spiritually weak and you're, you're falling asleep spiritually. I mean, you're spiritually dead. That makes the most sense to me. But what we can take from this is if we do communion in a way that does not focus on Christ, not only what Jesus has done for us, but the living presence of Christ in our midst. And the fact that the body of Christ includes everyone, that includes the people that annoy me. You know, it's so easy to love 
people you've never met. It's so easy to love our enemy who hasn't really affected our lives somewhere, you know? Try loving the person whose nose is always whistling when you're trying to meditate. Like, that's, that's loving your enemy in that moment. Right? Like, this is, this is really, hit, like, to love your enemy, we always go grand, ISIS or something. It's easy to love. Try loving the, you know, I don't know about you, but I have, I'm becoming more self-aware as I get older, and, and I, I have an addiction to being bothered. I love being bothered. I've just, I've just recognized this about myself. I look for things to be bothered about. And, and it's contagious because my addiction to being bothered now bothers Tammy, right? So it just kind of, it just, it just spreads. Like, I'll go home and like, did you see the way Bob was shaking people's hands? Like, he's holding on for like 13 seconds. Like, who shakes hands like that, Tammy? And, and she's just, why are you talking? And Wednesday, this will be three days, four days later. I'm like, I can't, Bob is, dr- I just can't believe he shakes hands that way. <laughs> And she's like, are you kidding me? So now she's annoyed with my addiction to being annoyed. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Now you're getting annoyed. It's contagious. (laughs) It's spreading. But this is is what loving your enemy is really, it's, it's, it's not these big grand things. It's the common everyday things. And when, you, when you're a church community, when you're, you're living life together, I mean, it, we annoy each other, right? I mean, I'm just going to, like, that's the truth. Have you ever thought, oh, is that person leading worship again? Right? Is he speaking again? Wearing that stupid light bulb shirt again? Look, look like hot dogs. Why is he wearing? <laughs> little things. Little things. If we're honest, we, because as soon as you hang out with people, Eventually, especially if you, you know, you're addicted to being bothered, you're going to get annoyed. And it's in communion where we come and we focus on Christ and we enter into Christ's presence. And it's only in that space, I believe, that we can... You still annoy me, but I love you. We are one. We are the body of Christ together. And I know probably the fact that you annoy me is a part of my spiritual journey. It's a part of helping me grow. Thank you. Thank you for being that person in my life. This has to get real. And I'm preaching to myself. Because I live in an almost constant state of annoyance. (laughs) This is a lot of confession. I realize that. I realize that. I I just decided I'm going to go for it. Because you can either love me the way I am and help me grow slowly and patiently, or we can pretend. I don't like pretending. Time is up. I'm probably annoyed. I'm sharing this addiction. <laughs> trying to get you all living in a state of annoyance. But next week, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look forward to doing communion with you all next week. And I don't want to just do it in this way where I'm like, okay, am I right with God? No, I want to, what, what he says, re- recognize the whole body. Communion isn't just about this. Between me and God. If I don't want to be guilty of partaking in communion in an unworthy manner, I need to be remembering and recognizing the whole body of Christ, all of you, and entering into a state of oneness with you. And I know the only way I can do that is when I enter into full awareness of the presence of Christ. Because things happen when, that, when I'm in that space. I just light, I lighten up. And I actually do love people. When I'm in that space, I look and I'm like, wow, you guys are amazing. You're so intriguing. Instead of annoying me, you intrigue me. Why do, why, 
Why does their nose whistle all the time? How, how is that even possible? <laughs> oh, I almost ended on a good note there, and I brought it back. <laughs> Peace be with you. <laughs>